0: Go ahead and turn to First Timothy uh, chapter six. That's where we will be. As you turn to First Timothy chapter six, I want to reiterate a little bit and move some of this because I don't need an accident. I want to reiterate a little bit of what Pastor Scott said. I'm thankful for the volunteers who came and helped this week. Uh, if you were here this week at all, if you walked in, the church was a disaster zone of stuff everywhere. Uh, which stresses me out greatly. I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. Uh, so I was pretty stressed out, but I could always go in my office and hide for a little bit, which would help. But we had a, a lot of youth here. We had a lot of adults here who helped to, to decorate. And as Scott said, uh, there's decorations all over the place. And maybe you're, you're like me at times. You think, what is the point of all these decorations? What does it add to anything? Well, to the kids, it does add some things. It adds some excitement, some desire for them to to be here, and gives us an opportunity to share the, the Word of God with them. And so I'm thankful for uh, those who, who did all of this. I'm thankful for our workers this week. We'll, we'll have, I don't know if you realize this, we'll have, i got to move this too, because I'm going to knock this down as well, probably. Uh, we'll probably have over 60 volunteers here throughout the week, um, if, not, if not a little more. And we can always, we can always use more. Uh, and I do hear this once in a while. I have to put a stop to it. I heard it again this morning. I've had people say, well, nobody asked me. I'm asking you now, right now, to volunteer and help if you can. All right? I, I don't need to come to you individually. I'm doing it here. If this is something that you're good at with children or with teaching or whatever, I'd love to talk to you or, or Pastor Scott because we could definitely uh, fill you in somewhere. And there's great value in that, many of you, I bet, grew up going to Vacation Bible School. And it is through those types of events where we remember and learn Scripture, um, different songs that teach us Scripture. Uh, we get to study Bible stories. But then we also have a good time, I think, as well, and we have fond memories uh, of that. And so there's, there's great value uh, in Vacation Bible School and having the privilege of, of teaching uh, numerous kids. Normally, we have around a little over 200 kids come through here, who we get to share the gospel with, and who knows what God will do in the midst of that. So, as He said as well, be praying, uh, be praying for this week, uh, if you remember to please. All right, First Timothy chapter six. We're going to be looking at verses 17 and 19 this morning. We're getting to the end. Next week, we'll finish First Timothy, and then we'll probably look at some Psalms for the rest of the of the summer. But as we approach the end of this book, just remember that Paul's been instructing Timothy to remain faithful. He's encouraging him to remain faithful as a pastor. And he's told Timothy things to avoid, also things to do. Some of the things to avoid, he said, avoid false teaching. In fact, go to the false teachers and deal with them. Uh, He said avoid envy, slander, evil suspicion. Avoid love of money. And some of the things to pursue, uh, righteousness, godliness, faith, love. And we need to remember to do all these things but we need to remember that why we're doing it, right? It's grounded in the fact, the reason we do these things, pursue righteousness and love, is because we are in Christ, Timothy would say. It's because Christ has saved us. He's, he's given us forgiveness of our sins through his blood, through the old rugged cross that we sang about. And if, if this is true, if this is what God has done for us through his son, Jesus, then these are the things we are to go And do we want to honor him we want to glorify him and these are the ways that God has planned for us To do that now the verses this morning have parallel With some verses that we've already read and so I want to read them this morning It's in chapter 6 though and beginning in verse 6. I want to read through verse 10 Because it parallels well with our passage this morning It says but godliness with contentment is great gain For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Here, if you recall, if you were here as we went through this, Paul is warning those who have the desire to be rich, not those who are rich, but those who desire to be rich and they are seeking after such things, he has this great warning for them saying, there's a huge danger in this and you need to be very careful because along with this desire comes many different temptations, one of which is probably a lack of contentment in your life. And that's something that he said there, didn't he? He he talked about being content. We spent a great deal of time talking about being content and how that is a blessing if we can be content in the situations that we, that we find ourselves. And so this idea we talked about as well of being content versus being complacent because I think that's a struggle in a lot of our lives. We, we want to be content, but we also know Scripture tells us not to be lazy. There's a lot of dangers with being lazy. And so how do we balance that well as a Christian of, of having contentment in our life, but also at the same time not being complacent necessarily with maybe where we are. One of the things that the Bible tells us in in this is understanding that true contentment comes from knowing who God is and that you are where you are today because of God. Whether you find yourself at the top 1% or maybe towards the bottom, you are where you are and you should be content in that because God doesn't make mistakes of where you find yourself. And now some of us would struggle with me even saying something like that because you start thinking negative things about God, like, well, why would God want me to go through this or go through that? That shows our sin in itself. It shows our pride. It shows our our lack of contentment. It shows our lack of allowing God to be God instead of trying to take over those reins a lot of times in our life. And so I think that's something we all struggle with, but that's something we looked at. Now, the difference in today's passage, as we're going to read in verses 17 through 19, is is Paul is talking directly, or telling Timothy, to talk directly about the warnings against those in struggles who are rich. As we read this, I want you to notice that there are two things that Paul tells the rich they must not do, and then four things that the rich must do. But also, I want you to note this before I read it. Paul never one time says it's wrong to be rich. Right? That's not what this message is about. This message isn't about you leaving here feeling guilty because you're doing well in your job or you've done a good job saving over time. That's, that's not the point of this. There's nothing wrong with having money. In fact, again, if you look at it worldwide, from a worldwide standard, all of us in here today are very wealthy. We are very rich. Now, I know that that varies here in our country of where we might be. But there's nothing wrong with being rich. Paul never here says you need to be Poor in order to be uh, free from these temptations. But this is because, again, Paul knows the truth of what he taught about there in verses 6 through 10. That it's God who makes people rich. It's God who allows things to work out. Right? I'm sure there's things you've done in your life and you're like, I can't believe this worked out. Everything went great. God allowed it to go that way. But there's other times with your same amount of intelligence, your same amount of work, your same amount of effort, you tried something and it fails doesn't it and we struggle with that but the fact is there's maybe a reason that it failed and we have to be okay with that we have to be we have to be fine with that this was part of the whole contentment message like I said that we had a few weeks ago well follow along with me I want to read verses 17 to 19 here towards the end of 1st Timothy he says as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty Now, as I mentioned, there are two things the rich must not do, four things the rich must do, and we'll go through those quickly uh, this morning. In verse 17, we see, first of all, the rich must not be filled with pride. It talks about haughtiness, being haughty. It's just simply true, and I, I think you'll agree with me, that those who are rich most of the time get more attention than those who are not. I think you would agree with that statement. But when people find out that you have money, all of a sudden you find yourself having some influence. The things the rich say become more important all of a sudden. Or the things that they do become desired by those who want to do those things as well. It really seems to be what our entertainment industry and our social media platforms all survive on. And it's what they seem to thrive on. It's what really keeps them going. Uh, This isn't a new trend, it's something that's been going on forever, for a very long time, but this lends itself then to some temptation for those who find themselves in the situation of having money, or being rich, because there is a temptation that Paul is talking about here of pride, or of haughtiness, and Paul again is warning them against this, because all of a sudden, when you have money, things start to change for you, as I said. Now, maybe you've been in a situation like that. Before, I think I've, I've said from, from the platform before that this has happened to me. When I was youth pastor or education pastor, very few people cared what I had to say. Very few. In the community, nobody did. Absolutely nobody did. Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Well, what, what do you do? I'm a youth pastor. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me talk to the next person. It's kind of how that went. But then, because you as a church voted that I would be the lead pastor, all of a sudden people in the community are interested in what Tim has to say. And it's like, whoa, whoa, wait. What changed? Nothing changed. Uh, No difference at all. But what becomes very easy is the temptation of pride. Of, oh, it's because I'm so smart that they want to hear from me. It's because I have so much knowledge or so much wisdom. And that's that's not it for most of them. Most of them is because just the position of being in a big church and being the pastor of that church That's what it is. It's kind of similar to those who are rich. And so we have to be very careful. If you find yourselves in these sort of situations of understanding, number one, of where your money came from and being being careful of the first danger that Paul talks about here, of pride and haughtiness. We have to know that with money brings along with it influence, and it does bring some power. And we have to be careful, if that happens to us, to start not to think too highly of ourselves, and we all know the destructive power of pride, not only in our life and how it affects our life as an individual, but how it then impacts those around us as well at the same time, because pride has a tendency to destroy. The the book of Proverbs is filled with things, but Proverbs 18.12, when it comes to pride, but Proverbs 18.12 says this, it says, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty but humility comes before honor. You see, these aren't just little quaint sayings that we think, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And this is the danger. I I said this with the message before. We start to think, give me some money and I'll show you I can handle it. Go ahead. Give me the money, God, and I will prove to you that these temptations just will not work for me. Don't we? we? We think that way. Oh, there's a lot of pride in those statements, is there not? You don't even have the money yet. And you're already full of pride. They can't do it, but I could do it. And so just hand it over to me. And watch what happens. Watch how much I can glorify you with all this money. Pride destroys. It can wreck a family. It can wreck individuals. And Paul is warning those who are rich. He's saying, do not be filled with pride. Pride. But then the second warning that he gives to them of not doing, he says the rich must not put their hope in their riches. He says that in verse 17 as well. He says that hope should not be put in the riches one has. Why? Because he says the riches are uncertain. They're not guaranteed. The pride that comes with riches is dependent on what? It's dependent on something, but this something that can vanish at, at any moment. It could be gone and disappear at Any moment. Now, I know that in America, oftentimes, our system seems very stable, does it not? We all know the market. We know the foundation for the riches of our country. But we also know that it's not perfect. And while we sit pretty comfortable with our system, we're all pretty comfortable maybe with having money in the bank. And now you might be yelling at me, no, I don't. It's under my bed. Well, that's good for you. But you're still comfortable with the paper stuff that you carry around? Are the coins that are in your pocket, or the cards that you have. We all have a decent amount of trust in this, but we know how slippery it is, and some of you know it better than others because you watch the Dow ticker at all the time on the bottom of your computer screen. Don't you? Every, Every hour, what has changed? Oh, the Dow is up. Oh, the Dow is down. Oh, it's down. It's up. It's down. Why do we watch that? Why do we care about that? Well, because we know it could vanish. We know that something big could happen in our world and all of a sudden it makes everything unstable and it all disappears. All the money that we stored up for ourselves just kind of vanishes. It just kind of goes away. And Paul's saying the rich need to be careful that you do not put your hope in these riches. Why? Because they can just vanish. It's so un. Certain. It's sad to think that the rich have their whole life at times based off of the money that, again, might not be here tomorrow. The money that could just disappear rather quickly. I'm sure you've heard stories before of those who were once rich but now lost all of it. It's all gone for whatever reason, whatever it might be. You hear this with lottery winners a lot. They even have TV shows now about lottery winners who are now poor because they spent everything they had. They invested it horribly. They had all this hope that one day I'll get rich and all my problems will be solved. And where do they find themselves? Back in their problems. Tons of problems. Or we know of the rich who finally realized at some point in their life, God was kind enough to them to open their eyes to the truth, to see the foolishness of them putting their worth in their riches putting their worth in the things that they own and the things that they have. Now, you don't have to be rich to do that, do you? We have to be careful with that in our lives where we start to put our worth and our value in our things and in our materials and what people think about our things and in our materials. Because if we live that way, there's no hope in that. Sadly, too often, as I said before, we think we can handle these temptations. We feel like we can just continue to flirt with the fire of riches as if we're never going to get burnt, as if nothing is ever going to go wrong. But yet Paul here is strictly telling Timothy, tell the rich not to hope in these things. But what does he say? Instead, put your hope in God. And this is the first thing the rich must do. Verse 17, must put their hope in God. I want to read for you out of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Uh, through 27, if you've been in church at all, you will know this. If you've been in church as a child, you will have sung this song. He said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Again, many of us know this song. Maybe you've sang it with your uh, children before, and we, we get it. We understand it. It's such a, it's such a simple concept, isn't it? If you're going to build something, you need a firm foundation. Don't, don't build something important on something that the water can come and just Wipe it away, it'll just it'll just go away, and now your nice, beautiful home or whatever it is, has now crashed to the ground because it had such a weak foundation. You guys look at me today, no doubt, and you say, I know this. Why is it so hard to live (laughs) then? Right? We know this basic truth, but yet it's so difficult to live this way. Would you not agree with me that a lot of our time is spent on building a house that has a foundation? that is not rock solid? Do we not see that rock that we are to be on, God our Father? Do you not see people slowly thinking, ah, oh, there's other good foundations out there? Or, or this foundation, I just, I, I'm not as into it anymore. I mean, how much of your life do you spend going after riches? Riches? going after security, going after these things that the world has to offer that are fun and can be very enjoyable. I'm not saying that at all. But how much of your time is spent on a foundation of sand? Verse, how much time do you spend focusing on the rock that is to be our foundation, that is to be our hope? And that's what Paul's saying here. Tell the rich to put their hope in God. All people, rich and poor, need to put their hope in God and and nothing else because God is the only sure foundation in this world. The Bible tells us that God never wavers, that God has never moved, that God has all power, that he is the giver of all things. And it is this God that we should love and that we should worship and that we should dedicate our life to and give our life to. Because he is the only thing worth putting our hope in. And so to put our hope in something other than God is what? It's foolish. It's foolish as going and building that sandcastle right next to the waves. Why would you do that? You even teach your kids that, you know, when you go to the beach. You put it, build it up here because the wave's going to come. It's just going to knock it down. The smarter thing would be to, to move it up here. Many of us have sat in church for years and years and years and we've heard faithful pastors and teachers preach and teach to us over and over and over again. Listen, do not get caught up in the promises of this world but trust in the grace of God. Put your hope on Him. Do the things that He's called us to do. Be a part of the church. Come and hear the preaching of God. Right. Give to the church. Uh, Sing songs together. Uh, Participate in Lord's Supper together. We hear these things. These are the things that remind us of our sure foundation. Yet if you're anything like me, and maybe this is why I want to stay on this, if you're anything like me, I find myself tinkering next to the waves over and over and over again. I find myself continually trying to find some sort of security and things of this world that I know better than. I know that that can disappear, but yet I find a lot of satisfaction in it and hope in it. And that's foolish, the Bible tells us. Money is just like this sand, isn't it? It slips right out of our hand, and it makes no difference in our relationship with the one who's actually able to destroy. See, all of us in here this morning come with different 401Ks, different bank accounts, different jobs, different positions. Yet all of us walk into this room as sinners who one day will stand before God in judgment. And how much money we have or any of that isn't going to matter at that moment. It's what is your hope in? What have you put your hope on? And we know that the Bible tells us the only answer to that is our hope is in the grace of God through his son Jesus Christ who died for us. And as Christians, we believe that our hope is on him, on his work, what, what he did. Nothing nothing I can do. No, it's, it's that he went to that old rugged cross. He, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And by grace, through faith, we trust in that fully. I don't trust even in my church attendance necessarily. I, I don't trust in how many times I took the c- communion or Lord's Supper. I, I can't trust in how often I was kind to people, no, my My trust and hope is in the blood of Christ. That's the only sure foundation. That's the only sure hope that we can have. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a part of this that I don't want us to go over. Because at the end of verse 17, it says, Do not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Notice what this says. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, if salvation, if salvation in Jesus Christ isn't enough, we know that God is so kind. Don't you know he's so kind? Does he not provide you with things to enjoy? Does he not? I know this to be true in my life. There are so many things that God, in his great grace and love and care and mercy, have given me, simple things, big things, whatever it might be, to enjoy. You have that too. Well, I don't want to, again, I don't want to just gloss over that fact. All good things come from God. And so, as you enjoy your toys, you know, as you enjoy your hobbies, as you enjoy your family, as you enjoy maybe the place you work, whatever it might be, as you enjoy the things that you get to enjoy, be reminded, brothers and sisters, that this is a good thing from God. And look, you are to enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying it. Go ahead and do it but don't put your hope in it. Don't put your hope in it. There's a difference between enjoying it and putting our hope in it. I think this is a message that's so vital to those kids who are like sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school, up through college age. Because when they start hitting that age, the whole focus of their life becomes what? Financial security. That's what it's all about. We, we tell them, you got to go and you got to go to school and you got to get a job or you need to get into a trade and you got to do this work. Why? So that you can make it in this life. And whether we mean to do it or not, we start to teach them to build their life on the sand. It can come across that way when that's all that they're hearing, when that's all that we're telling them to focus on. And we have to be careful because that is the message of the world, but that isn't the message of the church. Yes, be hard workers. Yes, you need to be able to take care of yourself. Or one day if you have a family, you need to be able to take care of your family. Yes, there's nothing wrong with education and going and getting a good job. But you better make sure that what's first and foremost on your mind is that the foundation that you are planted on is the solid rock. That your hope is on God and not on these other things. Listen, you might go off to college and get some fancy degree, but the fact is, after you get that fancy degree, you might go into interview and they might say, yeah, we don't need you. We don't need you. We don't need this. And all of a sudden, that degree becomes just a piece of paper with some ink on it. But you put your whole hope in that. We have to be careful with that. Paul tells Timothy to warn the rich, make sure you put your hope in God. And as we do that, now there are some other things to do. Verse 18. They are to do good. And so the rich, he says, tell them to do good works. You see, Once the rich have their hope in God, then that will show. You'll be able to tell this how by their good works. It's kind of like the book of James, what Paul's talking about here. Now, there are some people in our world who are rich, and the reason that they are rich is because of their work ethic, because of hard work. They've put the boots on the ground, and they've done what they needed to do. And having a good work ethic, as I have said, is very important, but it can become misdirected. Paul wants the rich to do good works, not selfish works. That's what he's saying here. It's a good question, I think, for us to ask ourselves at times to say, how much of my work is about me and how much of my work is about others? That's something that I try to think about often. I probably don't think about it enough. But how much of the work that I do is about Tim and my ability maybe to rest versus other people and serving and honoring the Lord in that. I mean, think about that just maybe in your natural environment and in your your day-to-day. I don't know. Why do you do housework? I think about that. Why do I do housework? Well, there's plenty of times I do housework so that I can show my wife, look, I did housework. You should be happy with me and you should make it peaceful around here because I did all this housework. Now, i got to ask you, Is that a good work? When my motive is that? Is there any good work in that? No. I mean, work got done. Something that needed to be done maybe got done, but I can't classify that as a good work because it was purely selfishly motivated through all of it. And I think as we go about doing good works, when we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times, because of that sin that is in our heart that we're thankful that God has forgiven us of, we realize how selfish we are even in our good works. Why'd you go visit that person in the hospital? I felt guilty. That's selfish. That's a selfish reason. Now sometimes guilt can be a great motivator and it causes us to do some good things. But we do see that sin, don't we, entrenched in our heart. That even the good works at times that we try to do, we start to understand why the Bible says those are filthy rags before God. Why? Because even in our good works that we try to do for other people, we complain through it. Our pride gets hit if nobody acknowledges it, nobody notices it. And all of a sudden, these good works, what? We come to realize we're nothing. And so that, again, is why our hope is in God. Our foundation is in Him. And out of that foundation is our desire, then, to do good works. Praying, God, help me to do these good works. And help me to do them in a way that isn't selfish. Selfish. Help me to love my fellow church members. Help me to love my family members. To love them in a way that, again, isn't about Tim, but it's about you, to glorify you. You gave me this wife. You gave me these children. You gave me this church family. I didn't do it. You gave them to me. So help me, please, to do good works for them and to love them. So it's not just about work ethic. It's about our attitude in that work Now, there are others, though, who are rich, not because of their work ethic, but because of the work ethic of those who gave them life. (laughs) Their moms, their dads, their grandparents. These are the ones that usually we stand back at, and we like to mock these people and get frustrated at these people because we feel they've done nothing to earn their money. They rest on the laurels of those who've gone before them And I think what Paul understands is that there are people like that in the world who are rich, even though they didn't do the work. And what this can tend to lead to is laziness. It can lead to a life of self-care instead of a life devoted to good works. So Paul again is telling even those people who might be rich, saying, you still need to work, and it needs to be good works for the kingdom of God. And as believers, this is what we are called to. We are called to a life of serving God and the way that usually plays out is serving others. That's how it plays out. Going to our neighbor and seeing how we can help or coming and being a part of the things at the church. Again, that's why I'm so thankful for the volunteers that we have because I know that they are doing their best to to do this. They, They want to serve God because of what God has done in their life. And so we have to be careful with our money and with the things that we have not to become lazy and not to become too into ourselves. I've got to be honest, one of the things that scares me, I don't want to have a long conversation on this, I believe in mental health, I believe in all this kind of stuff, but I hear, I hear it a lot. I've been hearing it with teenagers, I've been hearing it with students, and it, mental health days, we just, need, we just need a mental health day. And while I think that can be true at times, I think sometimes it's just an excuse to be lazy. And to not deal with the problems that we face in life. We face a lot of problems in life. And if we all take mental health days, well, guess what? We're in a lot of trouble. If I took a mental health day every time I wanted to take a mental health day, I can tell you this, I wouldn't be here right now. Today would be a mental health day. You say, why? What's going on? Not much, just life. But it sounds good. It sounds good. Now, again, I'm not denying the need for self-care. I think it's good to take care of yourself. I think it's fine to take time. But when we look at Hebrews chapter 11 and the hall of faith and the people who've gone before us, and when the writer of Hebrews would encourage us to push on and to press on, the people that he pointed us to were people who didn't worry too much about self-care and they kept doing what God had called them to do. This setup here, Babylon, We're studying about Daniel. Do you know what Daniel's faith led him to? A lion's den. A lion's den. Like, that's real. With lions in it to eat him. Not to pet, not to enjoy, not like at the zoo where there's a barrier there where they can't touch you. No. Daniel could have easily have said, self-care, self-preservation. I will bow my knee. I don't believe you're a God, but I will bow my knee because that's what I'm supposed to do because of self-care. Self-care. But he didn't do that. Why? His faith wouldn't allow it. And he said, even if I have to go to the lions, let it happen. Let it happen. I think we have to maybe be willing to do that nowadays in our culture as Christians. Not worry so much about our money or our things or how we feel or what might be going on in the day, but to stand to what's true for the word of God. To be willing to step out and share the gospel with others. And that's what we're getting here. In verse 18, he goes on not just to do good works, but he says to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Paul gives instructions to the rich next to be generous. Now, I believe we talked about this some in regards to the church uh, in America, specifically, uh, before, about being generous and its giving to the churches around the world. I don't know if you remember that, but in talking about missions... There's times where it's good to go and to do missions, it's a good thing to do, but I think a lot of times what would be better is if we pulled our money together that we would have spent on the trip and just gave it to the church that we were going to go to. They could probably get a lot more done with the twenty thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars that we would have collected and, and just handed to them instead of us flying over there and doing some painting or whatever. And I think one of the one of the resources that we are in the world in the kingdom of God as the church in America is we have money. It's important for us to be generous in that money but today also in church life of bringing it down to individuals one of the things that gets avoided and i feel this as well i hate talking about it but one of the things that gets avoided a lot is the topic of money but the fact is money is needed and the bible says it needs to come from the generosity of the church that's what he's saying here to these rich be generous and ready to share with your fellow church members With your fellow Christians or with your church and how it was set up see we must be known by our generosity understanding that it's the Lord that has given us all good things that we have to enjoy we just said that a moment ago and there's nothing wrong with you enjoying your things but we also should be known for generosity it's a good thing to enjoy the good gifts of God as I said we should but we also always need to be generous as well. You know, generous people oftentimes have a lot of impact. I have a friend who's this way. You know, we always get together as groups or do whatever. He's always putting money in. If you ever ask him, hey, do you want any money? He's always going to say no. Always going to say no. But there's something to that. There's a, all of a sudden there becomes a trust with that person, a care for that person, because you start to think, well, why is he doing that? And when you start to see, he does that because he loves us. Right? He does that, why? Just because he likes his friends and he cares about them or his family. So he's willing to go out and to do these sort of things. It kind of it draws you to that person. Now, we as the church are called to be a light in a dark world. And one of the ways that God allows us to do that is by being generous to the community that's around us. To share with them, while well, we We love you and we care for you. That's that's why we give. You know, that's, that's why we do this. We want you to know that we do care and we hope that God will use that generosity one day to allow us to share the gospel with them and then we trust that God will do that work. He will save them. That he will give them a hope. Well, we as individuals in the church, in order for that to happen, for the church to do it, We as church members need to be generous in our giving, don't we? Again, it's not something I talk about a lot, but the Bible is very clear that as Christians we should give. But then it also talks about giving sacrificially. You say, well, Pastor Tim, what does that mean? Well, if you're a parent in here or a grandparent, I think you understand what it means to give sacrificially. It might be little things. There's been times where I have really looked forward to eating something. Maybe you've been here before. I'm just really pumped about eating this thing. Maybe I've been thinking about it all day. I'm going to make this when we get home. We're going to have this good dinner, whatever it might be. Or you order something. And you know that feeling when the kid's looking at you or your spouse is looking at you and they say, can I have some of that? No, you can't. I mean, that's what you want to say. And I know this is very small, but you want to say you absolutely can't. But you do, don't you? I, it can be something as small. I, I, I loved shaved ice. You can buy them like at the fair. I bought a machine for it, so I have them at home all the time. That's how much I love them. And don't tell me it's a snow cone. It's not a snow cone. It's shaved ice. It's different. It's very different. Okay? But he used to tick me off when I would spend $6 at the Monroe County Fair for my shaved ice. And the next thing I know, one of my kids has it in their hands, and it is gone. That was frustrating. But as parents and as grandparents, these are little sacrifices that we make, don't we, at times? Because why? Well, while I'm frustrated at this child, I do love this child. Right? He's, he's mine. So I love him and I care for him. And it's okay. It's, it's just ice and some syrup. When you really start to think about it, you think it's not that big a deal. And in fact, I got another six bucks. I could go buy me another one. Right? And so, I don't even know if you could call it a a sacrifice. Again, it's very minimal, but this is the lifestyle that God has called us as Christians to live. In our generosity is also to live sacrificially. For a lot of us, I don't know if we've done that before. I don't know if we've done that before. See, in order to do ministry in this church, in order for this kind of stuff to get done, in order to have hundreds of kids come here or to take 130-some people to youth camp, i got to tell you, it costs a ton of money. And I understand that that money, guess where it comes from? You. It comes from us. That's why we're able to do these sort of things, is because people come up here and they put money in the plates. And we have people who faithfully give weekly or monthly or however they've designed to give. And it's because of that giving that God has often worked through those ministries where, I mean, next week I get to baptize three people. I get to baptize three people. Now let me ask you this. How much money would we say it's worth to baptize three people? We'd be scared to say a number, wouldn't we? Because that's three people who God has saved by his grace. Now, could God do it without our money? Yeah. But he still calls for that. And so he tells the rich, he says, be generous. Be generous. Be generous in your money. Then, lastly, he says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul concludes here by telling the rich that in doing these good works, what they're doing is they're storing up eternal treasures instead of just earthly ones that in the end disappear. Paul, of course, here does not mean that by doing these things, salvation is obtained. No, but instead, it's an eternal rewards and everlasting differences that are being made. God, in his great grace, uses our good works as a means at times to open up the eyes of the blind to the truth of the gospel. And this is eternal. It's not just small, it's eternal. It's eternal. You say, Well, I don't know if God does this stuff anymore. Let me give you an example. Just last week, when I was standing on this stage preaching to all of you who are here, I don't know if you're aware of this, but a homeless gentleman walked into our church, and one of our people who helped with security went and talked to that man. He didn't kick the man out. He said, Well, what do you need? The guy was thirsty, the guy was hungry. And so he took him back in the back, and he found some food in the back, which I still don't know where that food came from. He said there was a vegetable platter, and there was meat and cheese back there. So if that was yours, sorry. We gave it away. But he gave it to that man. And then he said, well, is there anything else that you need? And the guy said, I need, a tri- I need someone to take me to Ann Arbor. Do you know what our security guy did? He left his post like a bad guy, right? And he took that man to Ann Arbor. Now, you know what got to happen during that time? He got to share the gospel with that man in the car. You know what he told me? He said, now, I don't know if this was real or not, but in the car, the guy told me, I believe that. I want Jesus in my life. And they prayed together on the way there, and the guy says, again, I don't don't know what God did, but the guy says, "I, I trust in Christ now. Probably never see that guy again. I have no idea, but I hope to one day. I hope to one day in heaven. That's a treasure laid up in heaven that one of our security guys got to do that day. He didn't, he didn't come in here thinking that's how church was going to go that morning. But we see that God still works in this way, and he had an opportunity to store up treasure in heaven at that moment that wouldn't have got to happen if he wouldn't have come that morning. Right, if our security guy said, I, I'm busy, I, I can't come to church, i got something else to do, would have missed out on that great opportunity see, there are great benefits in storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven because those are things, the Bible tells us, that cannot be destroyed by moths or by rust. And this isn't something that Paul just makes up. Jesus talks of this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, and this is how we'll end this morning. You remember, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let us take these words very seriously this morning. I think it's something that we have to look on the inside of our lives and to see how well we are actually doing this. I can say this from experience. This week I was talking to, to one of my kids and somebody asked them, what does your dad do when he's not at church? This hit me kind of hard because I was, I knew what I was preaching on this week. He said, well, he works. I said, well, what do you mean I work? It's like, you know, you're working in the yard, you're working on the house, you're always doing something, you just don't sit still. You're just working. Now, honestly, in my mind, I've always thought my family would see I was doing this for them, right? doing this so that they could go swimming or so that the stinking so four-wheeler works or you know, the basketball hoop is up or whatever it might be. That's why I'm doing these things. But it kind of dawned on me a little bit of wondering, making me question myself of what am I storing up here? What am I storing up? Because it's not wrong to be a good steward of the things I have and to take care of it. There's nothing wrong with that, but what does it say if your kid thinks Oh, this is what he does for fun. That was, that's what he said. For fun, my dad works. That is not fun. I'm like, what? But it's good to hear through a child's eyes and a child's mouth to maybe get you in check a little bit. So well, maybe it'd be okay if the grass was a little longer. Maybe be okay if that door squeaked or if that machine leaks a little oil. Or for a little longer, there's a tarp on the back of the car because the windshield's gone or whatever it might be. Maybe all these things are okay to last. and Maybe I do need to check where my focus is most of the time because, again, this is such an easy truth that we've known since a little kid. Do not store up for yourself treasures here because when you die, your toys go away. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy. Such an easy saying, but such a hard thing to live out. And this morning, whether you're here and you're rich or you consider yourself poor or somewhere in the middle, all these truths apply to us as well today. Yes, it's said specifically to the rich to be generous, to put your hope and to your trust in God, but I think that's something we have to ask ourselves this morning as well. How well am I doing in this with the resources that God has given me? How much hope and trust am I putting in my things that I'm putting in just who He is and loving Him for what He has done for me? How much of materials and different things become important in my life above and beyond the things that God says should be important in my life? What would happen? What would happen Tomorrow, my house was gone. What would happen if tomorrow all my cars were gone? Would it destroy me? It can get even more personal than that. What would happen if tomorrow I lost a loved one? Would it destroy me? Or would I be able to stand and say, God, you give and you take, you are a good God. And my hope is in you. I don't know why all this is happening. I don't know all these struggles. But I am standing on the rock, not on sinking sand. And I know that you are a good God with a plan and I trust you. I often wonder that in my life. Would I be able to say that in those moments? And I hope by God's grace he'll give me the strength to be able to do that when those moments arise. And I hope that he will do that for you as well. And he promises He will. Because he loves us, he's faithful to us, and he calls us his children. And he's promised to never let us go, no matter what happens in our life. And that's good news for us this morning. So let us be faithful to what the word has told us today. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. I think we have one more song that we're going to sing. After I pray, I'll encourage you to stand and sing. But I also want you to respond to the word of God, how you see fit this morning. I don't know, maybe it's sin that you need to deal with, seek repentance of. Maybe it's just a time where you bow and thank God for how good he's been to you. Maybe it's been a long time since you've thought about all the different blessings God has bestowed on you in your life. And maybe you just need to take some time to say, God, you are very good to me. So God, let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. God, use your word now in our life. Speak to our hearts Help us to respond to your word how we should. Help us, all of us, I'm sure we have, we have sin to deal with. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's been a, a lack of generosity. Uh, maybe it's been putting our hope in things that just are very uncertain. God, I pray for those people here this morning who continue to wander. They continue to find hope and satisfaction and joy and peace in the things of this world. Or they're taking your good gifts and they're abusing them and using them for things that they're not supposed to be used for, which is a foundation of hope. God, I pray that you would help them to see that. Help them to see their blindness. Help them to see the dangers that await them. God, help them to see the glory of your Son. Help them to see that hope is found in him, that forgiveness of sins is found in his shed blood, in his perfect life. And God, I pray that they would trust in him. God, I know that you can do that work. I know that you continue to do it, so we trust you with that. God, as we sing to you now, help it to be praised to you and to you alone, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.